Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome. Welcome to the Distant Director General Library. As the traditional owners of this land, the Noonawal and Nambri people, I thank their elders, past, present and emerging um, for caring for this land on which we gather this evening. I'm delighted that so many of you have joined us he here this evening to hear Judy Horacek speak about cartooning in Australia. The National Library holds in its pictures collection at the moment about 80 of Judy's cartoons created between 1996 and 2006. These represent just a small part of our overall horror check collection, which also includes books written and illustrated by Judy, copies of publications in which Judy's work has appeared, and her personal papers, which incorporates original line art, colour art, hand colour illustrations for Judy's first children's books, um, and including Where is the Green Sheep? That book, created with Mem Fox and published in 2004, has become a childhood classic and one I'm sure many parents and grandparents here in the audience tonight have read many, many times. I know that I have. Since then, Judy has written and illustrated several of her own children's books, including one called These Are My Hands, These Are My Feet, which was proudly published by National Library of Australia Publishing. But cartooning remains at the heart of Judy's creative career and her work has been published all over the world. She's a global sensation. At various times, she has had regular gigs in the Australian, the Canberra Times and currently The Age. A one-time Canberra resident, Judy has been a regular visitor to the National Library for many years. Last night, we were delighted that Judy opened our exhibition, Inked, Australian Cartoons. In that speech, she said that often the measure of success for a cartoonist is having their work stuck on someone's fridge or on the back of the toilet door. Among my library colleagues and friends, Judy can perhaps measure her success by the very large number of women with altitude, coffee mugs and T-shirts between us. Tonight, Judy will explore what she loves about cartoons and share with us the cartoons that she loves. Please join me in welcoming Judy. Um, I feel really set up now. I have to be a global sensation, Cathy. That's a bit um, frightening. Um, you have to have a wardrobe failure or something. Would that work? So um, I would like to um, th thank you all. I would like to thank you all for coming. It's really lovely to see so many friendly faces, friends, old and new, and um, it is fantastic to be in the library, this beautiful library, and lovely to be in Canberra. And the weather Canberra has put on for me is just completely superb. It's just very nice to be back. And that crisp morning this morning, and then the warm day. I was like, oh, this is I, I love this. So. I'd like to start by acknowledging that we're on Ngunnawal land and pay my respect to their elders past and present and send my very best wishes to all their cartoonists and artists. I'd also like to acknowledge the library, as I've done, and the amazing work it does and thank them for inviting me to come here and talk and celebrate this wonderful exhibition. Hands up if you've seen the exhibition already. That's good. Well, for the rest of you, that's homework. It's, um, we cartoonists get very excited on the rare occasions when our field, our medium, is put up and taken very seriously. It is, as Cathy said, a, an ephemeral thing. You know, you read a cartoon, it's funny. Sometimes even two days later, it's not funny anymore because the context has gone. So to have it celebrated in this way is a wonderful thing. And I'd also like to thank Guy Hansen, who's the curator of this exhibition, Inked. Do you want to put your hand up, Guy? Yeah, round of applause for And the author of the accompanying book, which I can recommend to you because it's full of fab facts on cartooning. Um, and he's a huge fan of cartooning, which is possibly a liability for a curator, but that's, you know, the cross he has to bear. He began the in 1992. Yeah. And it's an, an annual exhibition that's still going to this day, which has, a, which has cartoons that reflect back on the year that we've just had. And it's now held at the Museum of Australian Democracy. So welcome to my talk on cartooning. 
I have to say, we're all friends here, aren't we? I um, had a thousand words at one point, and I've <laughs> cut it back and back, but I might have cut out the interesting bits. So if there's a bit that sort of seems to be going on in too much detail about something you don't feel is important, I was going to say call out and say you're being boring, but that would probably moz me for the rest of the night. So um, I'll just try and read your faces or the general air. So, um, and I also always mess these things up. Oh, hello. <laughs> Welcome to my slideshow. Don't let them sense your fear. Nice dishes, good dishes. Make cakes, not war. I had such fun drawing all those cakes. Surely she wasn't the only one who could hear it. Eat me, eat me. That's why it's good I don't have a proper job. If I was in meetings where there was leftover cake on there, it would just be terrible. Hey, there's a sign on this monster. It says, if you can read this, you're too. <laughs> Tattoos aren't just for Christmas, you know. So I thought that was appropriate to put that one in, given that the exhibition's called Inked. So when I reread the blurb about what I was going to say tonight, it sounded a little like I was going to venture into the history of cartooning. I have no one to blame for myself but this, for this because I wrote the blurb. But I'm not a cartoon historian, I'm not any kind of historian, so I would like to warn you at the outset that all opinions expressed are my own and all historical points represented are available for questioning and you can check them in the inked catalogue which is available in the National Library Bookshop outside. I hope to avoid any accusations of truthiness, uh, but what I do want to say, what I'm going to say is from my perspective and my perspective alone. Fast lane, slow lane, general bewilderment lane. I don't know, um, I used to swim at the Dixon Pool and they, on the fast lane, I don't know if they still had it, they had a sign underneath that said, please be realistic when choosing this lane. <laughs> So another reason why there's lots to say is I've been doing cartooning for a long time now and cartooning history, I've become part of cartooning history. I started 30 years ago, over 30 years ago, and at times as I've been writing, I've had this sense that I'd, you know, what I want to say is going to resolve itself into some fantastic intellectual through line about what's happening with cartoons and how they've come to the point where they're at, etc. But um, I'm not sure that it has, so that's... Um, that's still to come, so next time I give a lecture at the National Library, that thesis will all be presented. I might be a doctorate. Could I get a doctorate for that? <laughs> Dr. Horacek, that, my father's a doctor, so it's always, you know, being desired that one of the children became a doctor, so a doctor of cartooning. I wasn't, don't think that's what my parents had in mind. <laughs> um, so I'm not a historian, and I don't even know if you say a historian or an historian. Is there a ruling on that? It is an historian. Um, but there's a bit of history in the title I gave this talk, and that's this cartoon here. So this cartoon, many of you will see, it's by Stan Cross, and the caption is, for God's sake, stop laughing, this is serious. <laughs> and it was done in 1933, which is the Depression in Australia, and it was published in a magazine called Smith's Weekly. Waiting for God or not? Yeah, great. Um, and it's... It's been named Australia's most famous cartoon and funniest cartoon, but the person who named it the funniest cartoon was the editor of Smith's Weekly who published it, so, you know, not sure about that. But it's certainly very well known, and the Australian Cartoonists Association have awards, annual award night called the Stanleys, and you win a Stanley if you win. Um, I was going to give you a picture of one, but I would have had to find it on the net because I've never won one. But um, <laughs> Go to David Pope's house. He's got a shelf of about 100 of them. The, um, so it was done during the Depression and it's often seen as a metaphor for the Australian spirit of just laughing in the face of adversity, letting things get them down, a bit of a larrikin spirit. Uh, and Stan Cross himself apparently said it was just about the man laughing because the guy above him doesn't have any undies on. Uh, <laughs> and I believe that both can be true, you know, absolutely, that it is that. So the title is a reference to this cartoon, but I've said don't... Don't stop laughing, because I believe that humour is a fantastic way of looking at serious issues and making light of them, but 
to make them less complicated. So not make light of them to say, well, this doesn't matter, but to make light of them to say, actually, this is what we should do, or this is the way the world could be better, or this is how we understand this. Um, I've often said that humour is a fantastic way of changing the world. And obviously, this is a triumph of hope over experience, because in the 30 years I've been doing cartoons, the world's got a bit more horrible. Uh, now things are really serious, so we absolutely have to keep laughing. The next slide I've got, hopefully. So this is a Tanberg slide, the public image of Malcolm Fraser, the real Malcolm Fraser. <laughs> and this is from the exhibition, as is the Stan Cross one. Um, and partly what I wanted to say about this is that you can see how much cartooning changed in, that's probably only 70 years, uh, not, maybe not in 70, it's 1933 to Malcolm Fraser's heyday. And this cartooning started in newspapers and magazines, and it came from the tradition that in newspapers and magazines, they, before photography or before photography was commercially viable, there were drawings and they were done quite realistically because they were pictures of events and things um, and pictures of people, etc. So this is the tradition that the, those cartoonist artists came from, which is very highly rendered, beautifully drawn pictures. And they... Um, when photography started coming in, the art sort of didn't really need to do that anymore. So cartoonists, well, they, they cartoon, this drawing. Then when cartoons, cartoons became released from that ability to have to reflect the world. So cartoonists could get um, more and more idiosyncratic in their style and more and more economical in their line. And a master of the economical line is, of course, Tanberg. And that was one thing he tried very hard to do, to just get it as few lines as possible, just absolutely expressing um, what he wanted to say in that, that thing. So in a way, I'm not even sure if it's the same, you know, can we still call that a cartoon and this a cartoon? That's, and we can, but they're obviously very different. And I don't know where I was going with that. You see, that was one of those things that was going to lead to the brilliant thesis, but it's just... Now, this one is a Dyson cartoon. Um, it's Labour Wants a Place in the Sun from 1913. That's Labour with a U. So this is the working man at down the bottom. And this is Capital, the greedy, the man in the top hat, very fat, very greedy, beating down the worker. And the worker is that noble, beautiful, um, ideal, idealised, but also incredibly thin. And now, this is one just struck me that I did, the changing shape of capitalism. So then, more, you dare ask for more, ha, 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 ha. Now, have lots more, lots more. So cheap, so delicious. Have lots and lots. Shovel it in. More, more, more. That's the way. So it's very different. Um, I did this for Overland. So you can be a bit didactic when you do cartoons for Overland, the progressive journal. But um, it's interesting now trying to draw a figure to represent capital because to, you know, the evils of capitalism, somebody in a top hat who's very large and very, you know, give me, give me, give me, that's an easy kind of metaphor. Now if you want, now the people who are rich and in charge of the world, they work out at the gym, they, you know, have personal trainers, they're all slender and in designer suits. So it's harder to make them look in a drawing, um, harder to get that idea across. But... Um, so this was how I did it. I also have to tell you that, look how beautifully that is drawn. That's what they did in those days, where we've just become more lazy now, and this is how I draw. <laughs> but I get to use colour, which they didn't get to do, so that, that helps. And this, that's a break. <laughs> Not a mistake, it's deliberate. But... Um, the second reason for the title, Don't Stop Laughing, This is Serious, is I think that we are at the end of a great cartooning era because to me, I think cartoons are very much linked, the rise of cartoons is linked to the great age of newspapers and that's where they started and that's what where they have been. And now that newspapers are no longer a growth industry, they're, um, they're, it's affected cartoons. And my work's mostly not been in newspapers, it's been in... Um, magazines and journals and um, lots of political left-wing um, sort of publications. But there's been, I think there's a flow-on effect in all that kind of work from the fact that there's not the newspaper work around that there was. So I don't think people will stop drawing funny pictures or, or I don't think they'll stop trying to make political points through drawings, but the conditions that allowed current cartoons to flourish in the way, in that fantastic way that you can see in the exhibition are really are coming to an end. Um, so, and I'm 
other cartoonists tell me I'm pessimistic and they go, people will always be drawing funny pictures. And it's true, but I think that the energy now is moving to other things and to, you know, young people doing things that I don't even know about. And the internet obviously is hugely to do with that, you know, where that is going to take us, how publication is going to be. It was, I think, in the next five years, probably, or ten years or something, it's just becoming unrecognisable. So, um, but you look at the energy in the comics world, for example, and you look at graphic novels, and you can see that there's still, there will always be, I think, this will for people to draw pictures and express the world visually in that way. I just don't know how anyone's going to make a living out of it. So, as I said, it's not a history, it's only my perspective, and my perspective is that of a female cartoonist working in the latter few decades of the 20th century and continuing into the first decades of the 21st. So, this is my potted history of cartooning, told from my perspective. Someone invented printing presses, someone said, let's print the news, got rid of all those pesky town criers who keep waking us up. Then all the words with no pictures looked dull, so they put pictures in to break them up. That was before photographs, so they engaged artists to do it. The artists started doing drawings, realistic drawings, and someone said, let's add funny captions. And they became known as cartoons, which was originally a word just for a preliminary drawing. Raphael has cartoons of things that then became um, murals and wall paintings. So the, but it became attached to funny drawings, pictures with a joke in them. And then once photography came in, cartoonists started developing their own wacky styles. And that style became its trademark. You know, to be a cartoonist, one of the important things to do is you develop um, your style so that your work is instantly recognisable. And um, the two strands, newspaper ones, which were political, and then other ones, places like Punch magazine, which were more about social observations. So, and newspapers were profitable, and magazines were profitable, and then most, the standard story of a cartoonist is a young man who's gifted at drawing, a bit of a larrikin in him, always in trouble at school for drawing pictures, um, rocks up with a lot of chutzpah to a newspaper editor, says, gives me a job. The newspaper editor says, yes, I like you. He goes into a room with the, all the other cartoonists and he's kind of learning his trade from the older cartoonists and then as they move on, he moves up. That was the whole succession in newspapers. It just doesn't happen anymore. Um, people don't there are not jobs anymore in that sense. There are sort of freelance gigs that you can get, but not, you know, nobody has, nobody's employed as a cartoonist. I think David Pope, when he got his job on the Canberra Times, was probably the last time anyone got a job doing cartoons, and well-deserved too, you know, because he does a brilliant job. And, um, so the cartoonists and the editors were nearly all men, by the way. Um, that's not just my opinion, it's simple maths. So where my opinion comes in is in the fact that I'm mentioning it to you. <laughs> and the cartoons themselves were all about men. So occasionally a woman would figure, and in the cartoons that I grew up with, they were of two types. There was the overweight housewife, with holding, often holding a rolling pin in an apron, yelling at the man, or there was the beautiful, huge busted, big hip, tiny waist woman who was the aspirational, incredibly long eyelashes, she was the aspirational figure, and if only the man could get access to her, he would be able to live the life he should have led without this other woman who's holding him back. And <laughs> I assume one type morphed into the other, but it was never, there, there was no... <laughs> No transitional phase ever shown, so perhaps it involved a cocoon or something, I don't know. Um, and then in political cartoons, of course, women just didn't feature at all. So it's not to say that I don't admire those cartoonists that I grew up with, who, um, because they're brilliant artists and they did amazing things, uh, and they instilled in me in a, a love of cartooning and what it can do, and it's not their fault they're all men. So I grew up in Melbourne and I particularly remember Wegg's cartoons in the Herald There's, and he, he did do the, those two women figures. But I, I loved his cartoons. I loved the, on Friday, they had Wegg's Weekends, or weren't weekend papers, so they had Wegg's Weekend where he did six or eight cartoons and that was my favourite day of the week. And I remember kids in the, at school who... Um, parents got the Sun, and the Sun had Jeff, which is now the Herald Sun in Melbourne. The Sun had Jeff Hook's cartoons, which all had a little hook hidden in them. Does anybody, from, yes, remember those? And I never knew what they were talking about because you know, we didn't read the Sun in my house. But um, <laughs> that's um, there's still there. He's, here's another beautiful, beautiful drawer. 
So they were, those people were of their time in the way that I am of my time, and that's absolutely all you can be. And um, no, I won't invite people to go explain to them. Get that. <laughs> so when I began cartooning back in the late 1980s, uh, there was one female editorial cartoonist employed on a paper, and that was Jenny Coops on the Telegraph. And the late 80s, when I became a cartoonist, was an amazing time for women making inroads into journalism, into stand-up comedy, being radio announcers, being newsreaders. Many of you will remember that was, was once a commonly held belief that women couldn't read the news because their voices were too high, so nobody would take them seriously if they were talking about important events. So that was a milieu that I became a cartoonist into. Is that grammatically correct? That was the milieu into which I became a cartoonist. I became a cartoonist in that milieu. Um, and historian, I'll remember that, and historian. Ah, this is um, a Bruce Petty cartoon, which is about the different social mores, and he's uh, um, of there, the different states. And so that first one is Tasmania, that's the female, and the um, one beneath is the male. You can't see what I'm pointing at here, sorry about that. Um, I'll try using the... No, I won't, you can work it out. Then there's the Queensland, um, the Victorian, the West Australian, South Australian, New South Wales, and actually, some of them still ring quite true. <laughs> but I'm not prepared to say which ones. And, um, and the ACT doesn't feature, so we can laugh uproariously at this one. Uh, and Bruce Petty, you know, it's so different from, say, Stan Cross's line or Will Dyson's line. He's just crazy, just crazy stuff. And he um, was, when the Australian was here, so when Murdoch started the Australian and it was quite a progressive paper, Bruce Petty moved up here and there's this fantastic documentary about Bruce Petty where he's driving around Canberra in a little MG with no, you know, roofless, beetling around and he's going up Anzac Avenue and all the trees are about this high and he's standing on the edge of the lake. Bruce Petty's very tall and he's got stovepipe trousers and very pointy shoes and about that much sock and then ankle and there is no lake. There's kind of it's the puddle that's obviously approaching. If, if you, I can't remember what it's called, but if you ever get to see it, it's fantastic. I think I went backwards. Humph, an almost perfect sunset spoiled by lack of decent mobile phone reception. <laughs> so this is the um, cartoon that on, was on that, the first bit, but that's the, the top line. And when I, when I saw it without the line, I almost can remember what the line was because it's become so normal. We just, everybody just stands there with their phones like that. It's not, when I did the cartoon, but in fact, it probably we have to stop drawing people without phones in their hands now because that won't look realistic. Please enter your four-digit PIN. <laughs> 21st century superheroes, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound while texting. <laughs> Jack, please tell me you didn't swap our only cow for the address of a website about beans. <laughs> Leave me alone, Mum, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> There's the break. And probably that now I'm supposed to say all that stuff I said about feminism. Okay, so, yes, exactly. If you could just try to sound less like a woman, you want me to do animal impersonations? <laughs> so that was, you know, people would say, you, you talk, your voice is too high. I mean, I've had it said to me, I've had it said to me by a boyfriend, ex-boyfriend, that, um, <laughs> and you know, well, you, and so I just twisted it because, you know, why is the alternative to sounding like a woman sounding like a man? So, but there have been men who haven't um, understood this cartoon because they're saying, well... <laughs> I know, go figure. Um, I think, what, you're saying men sound like animals? I mean, oh. Damn feminists. <laughs> um, I do like taking fairy tales and twisting them, uh, feminising them, that's probably not the right word. Strong, brave, clever, pretty, pretty, pretty. <laughs> this is, when I grew up, it was a time, when I grew up, it was a time when um, girls were getting to play with Lego and, and, you know, there was 
changing and there were all these colours and, you know, if I... My mother made me play with stuff and I had trucks and my brothers had dolls and all of that. And it was, you know, it's great. But suddenly there's this pink everywhere. Not suddenly, there's this pink now everywhere. So you go into, say, Kmart or Target and you're in the boys' aisle and they've got all the other colours and the girls have got pink, various shades of pink, but it's all pinks. And it's, um, it's not natural because 100 years ago, pink was a boy's colour because it comes from red and red is fiery and you don't put women near red because you know what, how they get. Well, you know. <laughs> one small step for a woman, one giant leap for mankind. Show us your tits. Hey, baby, how about it, ugly bitch? Not because you're a woman, of course, but because you can't urinate standing up. Oh, I just said, you're going to think I'm a bit obsessed with urination, so that's it. Career advice number nine. A simple water pistol can vastly improve your status at some workplaces. Make sure you choose a powerful one. Wow. I was going to be the perfect wife. I was going to cook and sew and clean and clean and clean. So what happened? They taught me to read. <laughs> this one's directly from my mother. I can't claim any credit for this at all because um, it was a conversation we were having. <laughs> and I said, I'm the one saying, so what happened? And she, they taught me to read. And she did read a lot. So when I was at uni trying to decide what to do my, with my life, oh, it's not a blank yet. Can one million emails be wrong? Maybe I really do need penile enhancement. <laughs> you know when you get those, those, all that spam that says, you know, lose 10 pounds, or, and you think, God, can they see me? Is that... <laughs> the blank. So um, when I was at uni trying to decide what to do with my life, I realised that cartooning was a way to combine my love of writing and my love of drawing and my love of trying to make people laugh. And at the same time, I discovered feminism. So voila, I had things to say and the medium to say it. And I decided to make my main characters all women because I looked around and the cartoons I saw didn't have women in them predominantly, apart from those two types that we mentioned. And um, it meant, initially it meant that I risked my cartoons being misunderstood because people would look at a cartoon that had a woman in it and assume it was about menstruation or childcare when it might be about occupational health and safety. And that has changed a lot, which is fantastic. Uh, men were the every person and women were the subgroup. <clears throat> White middle class men were the every person. And I also um, always tried to show diversity as best I could, which was another thing that wasn't really happening in cartoons. So apart from the occasional caricature of a Japanese tourist or a Chinese chef, there really wasn't anyone apart from white people in cartoons. So, so once I decided to be a cartoonist, I got together a folio of my work and went door knocking. And because my discovery of feminism came along with the discovery of social justice and full-blown left-wing consciousness, I was very selective about the doors I knocked on. And, you know, lefty feminist community organisations, unions mostly, and I began getting bits of work um, and it went from there. And I also contacted The Age a couple of times, different editors for different sections in the art department and they put me on file. <laughs> so I've never had a proper job as a cartoonist. I apologise if I've said that 50 times and you know, I sound like I'm whinging, but maybe I am. But um, I've had casual gigs where I do one cartoon a week or two. At the moment, I have two cartoons a week at the age, which is fantastic. As I was saying today, when you do one cartoon a week, you feel this pressure that it's really good because you don't have a cartoon appearing the next day. If you have a slack one, everyone has to wake, wait a week. Um, so first in the age, then the Australian, and then when I was living in Canberra, I was in the Canberra Times in the Sunday paper for quite a while. And... I've had to um, supplement my living by doing other things, some cartoon related, some not. I'm just going to see what's going to happen. So this is Woman with Altitude. And this was the first cartoon that I published in, I'm sorry, it's so pixelated, the first cartoon I published in The Age. And it was published just coincidentally. So an edit, one day, out of the blue, an editor rang me up from The Age and said, have you ever considered being published in The Age? Um, I said, I'm on file. But <laughs> so um, she, I did a bunch of cartoons, and this was the first one she published. Coincidentally, it was on the 8th of March, and it was 1995. 
which is International Women's Day, so that was a bonus. But it was also, the cart my cartoons in those days were published on the obituary page. <laughs> I'm not sure, but anyway, that's where they were. And this was on the page with the obituary of Olaf Zakharov, who was a very progressive Labor senator and was killed far too early in a um, car accident. And um, so that was all wonderful and very nice. So this is one with altitude and people liked it. But the only reason, you know, a lot of you know this cartoon, but you don't know it because it was in The Age on the 8th of March in 1995. You know it because of what I've done with it. And what I've done with it is because I've tried to make a living with cartoons, partly just trying bigger and better places to put um, my cartoon. So this one has been on a tea towel and an apron, and I know that's ironic being a feminist cartoonist and having your stuff on tea towels and aprons. Um, and they don't make them anymore because nobody really uses tea towels and aprons. So unless they say MasterChef. There's a lot of people in the world now who are adults and voting and they don't know what a tea towel is. Someone said to me, I just thought it was a towel you dried your hands on when you were in the kitchen. So this is one with altitude, and here she is in the screen print version. So a number of my what I call classic cartoons I've turned into screen prints that I printed actually at Studio at Megalo up here in Canberra uh, with an expert printer who can get everything, all the registration exactly right and keep dirty fingerprints off it because I'm crap at that kind of thing. So I'm the one who carries them from the press to the drying rack and put down another piece of paper. Everyone for their own abilities. And this is another of those classics. It doesn't matter what other people think. The important thing is that you believe in yourself. <laughs> and this cartoon illustrates something that I believe about cartoons, which is that the best ones are either that you look at and you think, how the hell did she think of that? Or you look at and you think, I was that close to thinking that one up myself. And that's what this one is, and that's what Woman with Altitude is as well, I think. And when I did, I also usually say when I did the Woman with Altitude joke, nobody was doing other stuff with altitude, you know. Airlines didn't have meals with altitude, and cafes in the mountains didn't do food with altitude, so I was the first. <laughs> but I knew it wasn't going to be long, because it's sort of obvious. Your concern about global warming has been placed in a queue and will be answered by the first available government that gives a damn about the environment. <laughs> My people. I did this cartoon last century. A lot of these cartoons I'm showing you I did last century. And sadly, my work just often doesn't date. So I did this cartoon, and then I thought I will turn it into a, a screen print, a limited edition screen print, and um, try and make some money from it. But, but then Kevin Rudd came in, and I went, no, no. <laughs> It's fantastic, greatest moral challenge. I cannot do that to Kevin. He's just, you know, this cartoon is, is just destined to just be an, an anachronism really soon. And, you know, a year later, I made the screen print, and <laughs> <laughs> there it is. And this is another one. Woman with a past, woman with a future, woman with a present. <laughs> And this one is also the screen print. If you could just try to sound less like a woman, the one we saw earlier, you want me to do animal impersonations. And passing a building site fantasy. Bet she's intelligent. Wouldn't mind a game of Scrabble with her. What a mind. I'd give her the Nobel Prize any day. And speaking of being on the back of toilet doors, this was actually, I was told, on the back of the toilet door at ANU. The person who put it there is not in the audience, are they? They were once. It was very embarrassing. Um, and someone had graffitied on it, Schwitz. <laughs> So I had sat there as the professional, trying to think, what are the kind of things people call out of cars? What, how, what can I? I didn't get it. It was just, you know, I was, I was a little bit crushed, I have to say. But I do now get to tell you, and so that's fine. I still get the laugh. So that anonymous person who did that, thank you very much. And. Um,
These are my, oh, that's a very out of focus picture. These are the cards that I made. So for a long time, I um, made my own cards and had, got a, had a distributor, which is another market that's kind of fallen apart um, in the world. Uh, so someone else now does them who can print on demand and oh, that's a long story. But, they, you know, there are still horror check cards out in the world and that's um, good because that's another plank in my slasher, you know, cartoonist slash card maker slash print maker slash something. And this is my website and I'm telling you this because I have a newsletter um, and if you'd like to sign up to it, that would be great. I have actually a form here, so if you'd like to write your name and your email address on it, I can sign you up. So you just don't have to do anything. And the newsletter I send out once a month with the cartoon topic of the month. This month it's greed. So from the way you've been laughing, I think many of you will enjoy greed about you know what we're doing to the planet and also some stuff about chocolate. Um, <laughs> and... Um, so that, you know, you have to have a website now. You can't, once upon a time, you know, also if you're a cartoonist, you just went in and you drew your cartoon. Sometimes you could drew, draw your cartoon completely pissed. There are plenty of stories about that. And you didn't have to do a website or any of this other stuff. But that's not, I mean, I don't think there's many jobs or businesses where you don't have to have a website and get on top of all those skills as well or, or know some great people who help you with those skills. Uh, hand up, Fiona Edge. Um, and I don't think Ben's here, but Ben's brother, Ben Ennis Butler, who's a fantastic web designer, so you get people to help you and it all comes together in the end. But then as soon as you finish the website, it starts to look, you know, like you need to do a new one. It's a bit like Sydney Harbour Bridge, you know, you paint it and you get to the end and you have to start painting it all over again. This is a wonderful thing that happened. Guy is involved in this. I Am Woman, Hear Me Draw was an exhibition that I had at the National Museum of Australia to commemorate Australian women, white women, having... 100 years of having the vote, so rather than just do a boring... No, no, I think you said that boring. I, that wasn't me. Rather than just do a, a standard historical exhibition, Guy um, did an exhibition of my cartoons and this little catalogue lived a long time and then had it, this version, I Am Woman, Hear Me Draw, with a whole new chapter and all the cartoons in colour. I coloured the ones that weren't in colour and the new ones were obviously in colour. And these are my other books. Um, and this is my most recent book. Quentin Bryce is an absolute treasure. That's what she wrote me a card once because I sent her something and she wrote back and said, you are a treasure. And so I rang her up. No, I contacted someone who gave me her someone, someone, someone and eventually the message got to her and I had on my phone this um, number that I didn't recognise and my partner said, oh, don't pick up. And I went, oh, yeah, it might be important. Hello, Judy, it's Quentin. <laughs> Kind of important. Anyway, she upped it. She added, she said, I, not only will I say you are a treasure, I will say you are an absolute treasure. <laughs> so that's the quote up there. And then John Clark, the late and much beloved John Clark, wrote the foreword. And while the book was at the printer, he had his heart attack and died. So it, when I got the book back from the printer, it was this very ambivalent kind of, take the book back and give me back John Clark. Um, and this is, I self-published that book because the bottom has fallen out of cartoon book publishing and that's Woman with Altitude appears as my little colophon, I think they're called. Yep, slight nod from Guy there. This is also to remind me to tell you that I'm having an exhibition, sorry, I'll get back to cartoon in a minute. I'm having an exhibition in May at Beaver Galleries here um, in Canberra and um, if you join up to my newsletter you will hear all about that and you can come to the opening. You can come to the opening even if you don't up to join up to my newsletter, but you just won't know when it is. So um, these are some of the prints that I've done, and this is a, a painting. This is the failed mermaid. <laughs> and this is the very original green sheep. For those... <laughs> for anyone who hasn't been near small children in the last 14 years, um, I have a book that I did with Mem Fox, the first book we did together called Where is the Green Sheep, that did, as Cathy said, became an instant classic. It just has, um, it's now sold over a million copies. So, it's thanks to the green sheep that I can, can keep trying to be a cartoonist, really. That, um, but that's the original etching, so that's what Mem Fox fell in love with uh, and said, have any of you ever seen Mem Fox talk? 
I'll just stand back from there. Judy, oh my goodness, I have just seen your green sheep. That's how she is. Um, or asleep, they're just the two, the two <laughs> speeds of mem. So she fell in love with it and said, you should do a book, and I said, let's do it together. And it's, um, it's fantastic, and we've subsequently done four more together, although she says there won't be any more, that she's retiring. She doesn't think of me. That's like <laughs> 35 books or something. Why should she stop, you know? It's a break. So, you know, when I said there was only one female editorial cartoonist when I started cartooning, there is now, 30 years later, one female editorial cartoonist, and that is the wonderful Kathy Wilcox. Um, over there, you missed one. That's Kevin Rudd. And there's a red hair, and this one's in the exhibition. <laughs> so she is a um, cartoonist for the Fairfax Papers and Sydney Morning Herald. She's based in Sydney. So um, when I started cartooning, there were uh, quite a few women drawing cartoons uh, in the same way as women were gaining ground in other areas, in other going into public life. So there was Kaz Cook, Jane Caffarella, Deborah Kelly, Kerry Miller, Joe Way, Trudy Clutterbuck, Kathleen McCann, Bev Aisbert, Fiona Kataskis and others. But we were generally not working for newspapers. We were sort of working alongside newspapers or for community groups or for other things and never really in the mainstream. And mostly people have had to move into other things. Some people have continued with a cartooning component like Kaz and her amazing books about um, child rearing and babies and others branched off into other types of artwork. Deborah Kelly does incredible, extraordinary collages. Joe Waite is um, still doing comics, um, and Fiona Katowskis and I are still battling away, and you might, if you watch Insiders, you might recognise her from Talking Pictures, where she is the producer, and she also is sometimes the featured cartoonist, because she is handy, and... Um, and good, and um, sometimes she's a presenter when Mike Bowers is away. But as far as editorial cartoonists go, it's still only Kathy Wilcox. But on the plus side, because so many cartooning jobs have disappeared completely, the percentage of women is massively higher. <laughs> um, so and here's some other of my favourite cartoonists. I, not like Guy, I don't have any favourite cartoonists, but here... Um, this is Looney. So Looney was very influential on me when I was growing up. Maybe not so much now. And um, the, he just did different stuff. He took everything into an emotional landscape, I think quoting from the catalogue there. Um, Gardens of the Human Condition, this is. He didn't want to do politics, so there's a famous story that one day when he was supposed to be doing a political cartoon, he just drew a man riding a duck with a teapot on his head and they published it. You know, it was the 70s, or, you know, they did that kind of stuff. You wouldn't try doing that now. Well, you could if you were Michael Looney, but not. I thought I'd put the, the man on the espresso machine and I'd tie some other animal to its head. This is David Rowe. We're on a mission. Where to now, boys? And David Rowe is the most extraordinary artist, and he is one of the very few people who still does everything by hand. And so that is a painting that he... And it takes him several hours to do that. And this is the Blues Brothers, obviously, with Morrison and Tony Abbott in the back. And it just doesn't mean Tony Abbott. And, um, this is John Kadelka, and I love this cartoon when it came out. Um, the Light on the Hill. <laughs> It was attracting the boats. It just says so much, brings in so much history. Uh, it just, I just think it's fantastic. You nodding, Guy? Yeah. Now, the Walkleys, everybody goes, it won a Walkley, but you don't, the Walkley people don't pick from all the cartoons. The cartoonists have to pick what cartoon they submit. And John Kadelka is always putting, is always saying, oh my God, I put in the wrong one again and, and he's not very good. You sure I won a Walkley? I think that that year, oh no, the one I thought should have won a Walkley that he didn't put in was Julia Gillard letting go a little Kevin from a um, birdcage. That's a birdcage. <laughs> and um, saying, fly, Kevin, fly. And oh, Kevin, anyway, Kevin, seven, four, six. 
I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was a brilliant cartoon, trust me. And John didn't put it in that year. So this one, yeah, possibly did. And you will know this one, he drew first by our very own David Poe, uh, which went viral. I think he drew it and went to bed and then a million people had liked it by the next morning. And that's break, sorry. Um, the final thing that about, in my title, Don't Stop Laughing, This Is Serious, is that I feel that we're in a world of the quip. So a lot of humour nowadays is just goes for the easy laugh. It's happening in comedy, it's happening in social media. We concentrate on Peter Dutton looking like a potato, as if that is, has anything to do with we laugh at Tony Abbott wearing Speedos, even though he doesn't, as far as I know, wear them in Parliament. And, you know, the, possibly the only good thing about Tony Abbott is that he likes exercise and that's a good role model for people. Uh, and we laugh at politicians for the slips of the tongue that they make, even though any of us would make that, you know, the suppository of wisdom. I, I could have said that. <laughs> and they're neutral things, but somehow everybody just goes, there's more and more going on about that rather than trying to come in underneath and trying to get at why they're, you know, why the way they play with the truth and their, you know, all the kind of, you know, stuff they do. So um, that's just my little whinge and I um, think, you know, and I've talked to other, um, not cartoonists so much, but other com comics about that as well. And, you know, Hannah Gadsby, Hannah Gadsby, who's now, well, you know, global sensation, Hannah Gadsby, up there with me. Um, <laughs> She, when she did Nanette, so I saw one of the very early Nanettes and I sent her a, a message and, um, and well, Nanette um, is about how comedy, you know, in it, it's quite, she's quite strong about how all the comedy shows around her during the comedy festival, so many of them are just, you know, everybody making jokes about the wrong things and not the serious things and not, the, and not trying to change anything but, but believing that they're political. So... Um, I, I'm getting near the end. I'll see what's happening with the slides, though. <gasps> okay. I go to Papua New Guinea every so often. I needed that to remind myself. And um, we go and work in some schools, and one school just gave us this amazing welcome one day. Um, and another school, this cartoon, do you have anything that says, princess, that says person? Because everything says princess on there. Um, I showed it to uh, some of the girls there, and it's a very... Um, gendered, uneven society there, but some of the young women are great and they actually, at the last day, so they have book week and we go, a number of us, go, a couple of us go over there for book week, they acted it out and they made a little shop and someone came in and um, I was in tears, I tell you, that um, this is the, one of the princess dresses that they made and this is the two others, so the the shopkeeper kept handing over these, these paper dresses. It was just beautiful. And this cartoon actually did this century, so yay. Break. So um, I started, I've been a cartoonist for over 30 years, and I started off calling myself a feminist cartoonist, which I still am. But now I find in the work that I'm doing, other issues have taken more, up more of my time and my thinking. And also in the publishing space I have, it's not particularly a political space, so I do try and keep a delicate balance of just... Um, some hard-hitting political cartoons, hopefully hard-hitting, were simply silly ones. And it's not because there's any form of censorship. It's not because anybody's saying, look, you can't do that. It's just because it's the space. It's, you know, I'm under the weather and I'm next to the quiz and it's, you know, people... I'm just... <laughs> just trying to stay under the radar with my politics. Uh, but also with a lot of the feminist cartoons, as I said, that I've done, I, they haven't dated, damn it. And... Um, so that's both a success and a failure, I think, of my work. So that um, when we, for some of my cartoons, I would love them to date. My biggest concern at the moment are climate change and asylum seekers. I've just got um, fellow human being and in a boat, epitome of all evil. Terrifying and dangerous Australian things. Spiders, snakes, sharks, indefinite detention. In case of refugee crisis, please break glass. 
And this is the planet and what we're trying to do to it. The future in black and white coal, bleached coral reef. The more the ice melts, the warmer things get. The warmer things get, the more the ice melts. The more the ice melts, the warmer things get. The warmer things get. Slap him somewhere, he's hysterical. <laughs> Quiet, all of you, we've got to think. <laughs> and a break. So, now that I've depressed you all, um, I'm going to finish up with some animal cartoons. The passive-aggressive elephant in the room. <laughs> Beach scenes you will never see. Polite seagulls. Please, I insist you take that chip. No, no, absolutely you must have it. I had no idea I was dry clean only. It makes no sense, you know that, don't you? It's that damn male privilege thing. No rooster ever has to justify why he crosses the road. I waited and waited like the fairy tale said, but I simply turned from an ugly duckling into an ugly duck. <laughs> and the last one. Much as I hate cliches, I have to say that's the wrong tree you're barking up. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. so much, Judy. What an absolute treat that was for us all. Thank you for sharing your insights, your perspectives, your passion and your creativity. Thank you. We do have time for just a few questions tonight. So we've, how long my answers are, of course. <laughs> <laughs> we've got a microphone on either side of the room, so if you can raise your hand, we do need you to use the microphone because we're recording for a podcast tonight. So we've got one just in the middle here. Hello, thank you for a lovely speech. Um, I'm really glad that you've been able to ride on a green sheep's back for so long, and I'm sad that Mem Fox is retiring. What other author would you like to work with? I don't necessarily believe Mem Fox has retired. She said it before. <laughs> you know, like Hannah Gadsby, come on. You don't believe these people. Um, I actually would prefer to just do my own because I, there's a lot of work in drawing a, a picture book and that I think that is that. Although that said, I, there's a climate change activist in the States who I met when she was riding a bicycle around, us, around the world asking people about water and we, we're going to collaborate on something. So I think that that kind of collaboration would work. But I like the brand of Judy Horachik and Mem Fox and, and then the brand of... Um, of just me, so we'll see. But that one, because it would be about climate change, I think it would be you know, a really strong one. And she's also, she's very tall and slender and she's got this wiry hair like that and I just can't wait to draw her. <laughs> Earlier you mentioned uh, Australia's love of larrikins. I'm not sure if that's the case anymore. I think that Anyone that performs a larrikin act now is pounced on by the media, if not the police. Do you th still think we love our larrikins? Oh, well, we probably never did love our larrikins as much as we always pretended we loved our larrikins. That's one part of that question. And I think that we still do love um, people who make us laugh. And I mean, I'm not sure what specific events you're referring to. I mean, one person's larrikin is another person's lout. That's true. Um, and certainly there was a lot of larrikin behaviour, like men, um, you know, people looking at women's skirts. That was seen as larrikin once upon a time. And now we don't see that as larrikin because we just go, actually, always made us girls uncomfortable. We never thought it was funny, flicking the blast, brass strap, all of that. So, you know, there's, there's some larrikin, some things that were once seen as larrikinism that I think were part of being a dominant group and that now you've got people from less dominant groups saying, well, you know, that, that we didn't like that, didn't make us comfortable, etc. So, 
Yeah, I don't know. Yes and no, I think, is the answer to that. much your, uh, your cartoons in the age and I think I heard you say that you also um, have cartoons sometimes in the Australian, is that correct? No, I did for a long time ah. and I know how most of you probably feel about the Australian but honestly it was the best gig I've ever had. I had a big space, it was in colour, it was on shiny paper, so the Australian magazine at one point, I worked there for about four years where they decided to, the, the magazine that came out on the weekend and they decided to um, revamp it, and they put in two cartoonists, and but it didn't, it didn't continue. Okay, well that that really um, destroyed my question, as it were, because I was going to ask you whether you were selective about what you put in the Age and the Australian, and whether you got a difference in feedback. But you've already asked. No, well, cartoonists don't actually get very much feedback anymore. No, we don't. The best feedback you can get that I get at the moment is where I say, did you receive the cartoon? And they go, yep, thanks. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so, but, but I never did anything different. I did, you know, when I was in the Australian, I just sort of did what I do and that, um, for good or for ill, and that was, well, it was fun. Do you think I do right-wing cartoons for one paper? <laughs> It's never, you're not, never allowed to work for the two stables anyway, so if you're working for one, you have to quit from the other one. That's, that's not, um, yeah. Oh, great talk. I just wanted to find out uh, how you came up with your own style. You were saying at the beginning something about you have to then develop your own style, and so I'm thinking, how long did it take uh, to do that? How did you know when you'd hit on your own style? Were you purposely trying to find something different from someone else, or do you just do what you do over and over and it sticks. I think you just draw and partly my style was to do, you know, Kaz Cook has very pointy nose in the atmosphere about what we're drawing and then people, say, 10, 15 years earlier, have very round noses, Lunig's noses and a number of other cartoonists who started then. So there's partly a fashion that you're not even aware of doing but it just became the way I drew. I know when I first started I would have a profile and there'd be one eye inside the profile and one eye just floating weirdly outside the profile and I did that for a while till I thought why what am I doing and um, uh, but it and it's, it's just developed and part of it's true is the pen that I use is responsible for my style so I use a rapidograph pen which is or an isograph pen which is an architect's pen when they used to use pens so it gives a very smooth even line so that's not you know it's not mark making, as they talk about at art school, where you're you know, doing pencil or all that kind of stuff. So that was part of it. And I don't know why I use those pens, except that I had them. So, and they're, they're terrible. You have to shake them to get them to work. So I could have done a lot more cartoons if I'd used you know, a pencil. Um, Judy, I was just, is that on? Yes, I was just wondering if you've ever had a cartoon rejected. Um, in case it was, um, you know, too close to the bone for a, a, I have an had editor or something? A couple of cartoons rejected and I have fulminated and I've gone, oh, I'm being censored. And, um, and then a week later I thought, this wasn't a very good cartoon. So um, it, this did happen at The Australian where they said, look, it's not about the content of the cartoon, it's about, it's just, it's just too didactic, it's just too in your face. And I was like, oh, you know, that's typical. But they were right, you know, it wasn't, like, there's no point in putting out something, if you, especially if you're trying to convince people or, you know, just put a good point of view if you just sort of, um, if it is just not working as a cartoon, if it's not funny, if it's just too, um, not strong, I can't, I can't think of the word that I mean. So that has happened. But I think there is a censorship that goes on that where you don't want to, just, you don't, want to sort of do the wrong thing. That's one form of censorship where you're just doing it to yourself. And then there's another form of censorship, which is what voices are in the paper at all. So, you know, and they're mostly white male voices. And so that's not me personally being censored, but that's just, you know, that's what, that's the points of view that get represented that we read about. And um, so, no, I haven't been censored. I've been actually protected by what I thought was censorship, but turned out to be someone watching my back. Uh, thank you very much, Judy. I imagine that the, the quality of your cartoons, you probably judge on the number of people that you can offend. So I, I wonder no, if, well, if, if, 
if you retain a good QC just to protect your back, just in case. I don't, that's the, I don't actually seem to offend all that many people. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I did, there was one man, a journalist who interviewed me, he was very offended, he looked at my cartoons and he said, why are your cartoons so anti-men? And I looked at what he was looking at and I said, there's no men in those cartoons. <laughs> and he said, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, when I offended him, obviously, and I did offend someone with a cartoon that was um, of two shepherdesses on a hill and with some sheep and saying they just ran off after the when well, star, the um, the star that's normally above the nativity. So oh, they just ran off after a star, and the other shepherdess said, "Must be the male menopause." <laughs> and um, I mean, the only reason that works is because it's a joke about people saying it must be the female menopause, you know, the menopause. So, um, but somebody wrote me a letter um, and said, you know, that it was sexist, and I, if he'd done it the other way around, I would have been really upset, etc. And um, it actually came from a hospital, and he said he was a doctor, but I thought maybe he was an inpatient, you know, like that. <laughs> but, um, and that, and then, um, yeah, so my work doesn't really, for good or for ill, it doesn't really offend people that I hear. I don't get trolled very much at all. Um, I did get trolled, actually, by this man who said, I've been reading Where is the Green Sheep to my daughter, and I noticed there's a lot of rainbows in it, and I've been on your website, and I see that you support marriage equality. <laughs> Do you think it's appropriate to be talking to three-year-olds about homosexual sex? <laughs> well, no, I don't think it's appropriate, or heterosexual sex either, anyway. It was, it was quite bizarre, because I just ignored it, and then he wrote, uh, you know, you're, I notice you're just ignoring my email, and no, my, I'm, you're ignoring my post, and then he wrote again and said it would make me far, far angrier if you keep ignoring me um, than if you write a reply to which I disagree. And I think, why should I... Anyway, I wrote a reply and I said, oh, I'm sorry it's taken me so long to reply, but my partner had an accident overseas and, um, and so we've been dealing with that and she has been, <laughs> you know, she's been extremely ill. So, but as to your question, yes, I do support marriage equality. Um, no, I don't think you should talk to children about sex, but I do think rainbows are just rainbows. It's a chromatic scale, it's a scientific fact. <laughs> Um, I, um, I didn't say, God, you are going to be exhausting yourself if this is how you're looking at the world. Uh, so, and then he wrote back and he said, oh, thank you very much. I hope your partner gets better soon. <laughs> so, because I was a bit nervous when I sent it. I thought, is he going to say, I know where you live now and I'm going to come around and this is just... So, I don't know what that was all about. Look at me, look at me or something. So... Um, that was a very long answer to the question. One more question. Judy, thank you very much for your 30 years of scribbling. Um, you have inspired us all to do our own scribbles and yarns and things, and I just can't tell you how much we love it. Um, <laughs> just two comments. One is um, I think the reason why cartoonists stay on the light side of life is that those who are cartoonists who draw on the dark side of life can make an even harder living, like Mary Lunig. I don't know how she puts two and two together to make a crust of bread. I really don't. The darkness in her life that comes through the cartooning, it, it's just, you know, it is so sombre and sad. So thank you that you do have the light side, but your light side gets to the nub of the issue, which is the beauty of it. You know, you just show us something that we never thought of, put two and two together and it's the wrong tree, you know. Um, <laughs> but I was going to ask you, in days gone by, people who did have things in the newspapers would get lots of letters from people who liked what they heard. Not the grumpers, but the people who liked it. Do you get lots of lovely letters? No. <laughs> um, I don't think people write letters so much anymore. I, um, I, get, I get comments if my stuff is posted online, nice comments for that, and then um, often I'll find, somebody will put me into a thread and somebody has posted one of my cartoons without saying it's me, so I don't know. And it's, there was one I did um, that offended, oh, I did offend three New Zealanders. Um, I did a cartoon. I, 
I delighted thousands of New Zealanders, but three of them were offended and told me so. I did this cartoon about that said, somewhere in the Tasman Ocean, there's a picture of all these fish, you see where I'm going, can't you? Is a line separating the fish from the fish. And, um, it, <laughs> so I then did another one um, because, you know, I did, I did check it with some New Zealanders beforehand. Um, not enough, not someone, <laughs> someone in the next studio to me, but not the one in the next studio from her. But um, I then did another one that there was a from view from the eastern side where there's a line separating the fish from the fish. So um, that balanced it out. But the one that got tweeted and passed around a whole lot was still the, the fush one. And it was really beautiful seeing some of the comments with people saying, oh, I miss your accent, bro. And it just became this thing because so many people in New Zealand... You know, there's, there's, we've got such a strong relationship with that country, with Australians living there and New Zealanders living here, etc. And there were just, it was just really lovely. But it was on, and it was on a website, or not a website, a, a thing, um, and w without my name and about. Lots of people had liked it, so I wouldn't have known about that except somebody said this is a Judy Horacek cartoon. Um, so, but if anybody here would like to write a letter to the paper and they'll forward it to me, that would be completely fine with me. Or the library, I'm sure, would forward it to me or my email address is online. So <laughs> and you can sign up to my newsletter and then I'll write you a letter every month. Um, that's probably, we probably have to stop, don't we? I could take one more question and we could be here till midnight, but we probably shouldn't do that. Thank you, thank you very thank much you. for your laughing. Thanks again, Judy. And as we bring this evening to a close, if you would like to head upstairs and purchase one of Judy's many cards, books or prints, including Women with Altitude, I went and checked, there's some in the bookshop. They're available tonight uh, with a 10% discount and Judy has also kindly agreed to sign copies of her books tonight. We also have extended the opening hours of Inked Australian Cartoons, now showing in the Exhibition Gallery. So I encourage you to do your homework, as Judy said and enjoy the exhibition and possibly even laugh out loud on, uh, at the cartoons that are on display. So thank you all for joining us here at the National Library this evening and I hope to see you here again at your National Library soon. Good night. <laughs>